Hello and welcome to Start Your Week from the Bunker. I'm Andrew Harrison. There is, of course, only one story that the entire world is talking about. Liverpool's historic 5-0 humiliation of <laughs> Manchester United on their own home ground. An astonishing sight which the world will never forget. But we're going to endeavour to mop up a few of the smaller, less consequential themes of the week ahead for you with Alex Andreo. Good morning, Alex. Hello, Andrew. Spurs lost, of course. To well, you know, this is... There you go. It's the natural order of the universe. So it's budget week. And uh, we're into yeah. a- amazing revelations time. The Treasury has made £26 million of commitments in the run-up. Surprisingly, some of them turn out to be not what they seem. £7 billion for transport in cities outside London turns out to be just £1.5 billion of new money. What have you been spotting? What should people look out for? Well, I mean, the, the noticeable thing is just the amount of policy that's being pre-shaded by uh, press releases. Uh, one wonders what will be left for Sunak to announce from the dispatch box. But So there's largely expected to be a minimum wage rise. That's going to be a big, big thing. The Low Pay Commission reports today, Harry Cole uh, of The Sun, who is quite well connected with this government through previous um, partners and such, um, is reporting that 5 million Brits are about to get a pay rise. This is going to be the government framing it. But of course, inflation is also rising. So it will have to be quite a big rise to uh, uh, to the minimum wage to keep up with inflation. We shall see. Public sector pay is also uh, due to go up. Treasury have all but confirmed it. I think retention in the public sector is going to be a huge problem for the government in the year to come with, you know, such labor shortages going around and uh, private employers increasing their wages to try and attract employees. I think there will the, the government faces the potential of a huge brain drain from the public sector into the private sector, which would leave them very, very vulnerable with all their, their plans. The NHS is about to get uh, uh, some backlog buster money, 5.9 billion in hmm. capital spending on top of the 12 billion already announced that includes apparently 2.3 billion for 100 community diagnostic centers expected to do the bulk of the work of clearing the backlog which is i think a really good idea hmm. but who's going to staff them because nhs capacity is never really limited by the physical space or the physical beds when people say that there's a bed crisis in the NHS. They don't mean, you know, there's no more room to put actual beds in. They mean that there's no staff for additional beds. So will this be more Potemkin villages like the Nightingale hospitals, which were built very quickly at huge expense, open to much fanfare, but then there was no staff to put in them. And so the London one, for instance, which had a capacity at its maximum of 6,000 patients, at its peak, so fewer than 20. I mean, the criticism is that recruitment takes time for the NHS. That's what the King's Fund are saying this morning. Labour pointing out that the NHS repair bill is $9 So saying you're going to give $6 in capital spending is not really enough. Mm. Um, the aim is apparently for 30% more elective activity by 2025. Is that enough, considering the backlog, considering it will keep growing until then? 
I think the political aim of the government is to start to make an impact by the next election. So if they can start to impact all these things by 2024, which most people think might be the next election, then they can say, look, waiting lists are coming down. Look, you know, we are beginning to build the hospitals that we promised you. If they can't make a start on those things, it's going to be a very difficult electoral issue for them. Sunak is uh, already getting it in the neck from various ancient Thatcherites like David Davis, who want to see tax cuts in the budget. Yeah. Does a sensible Chancellor cut taxes right now when, and here we got to do the modern monetary theory warning exception, within the framework of Tory thinking, and they are the government, there is a COVID debt to pay off? It's all a little bit theoretical before we see the fine print of the budget um, because we don't know how much of that actually is new money. We don't know what he will do on the flip side, as you say, on the collection side. A lot of it is multi-purpose money, which I think is quite dangerous for the opposition because it's very effective. You see, you can add all of it together as a response to any criticism in any of those areas. So if you're criticized on social care, you can say, we have given 12 billion to health and social care, even though none of it is actually going to social care until the tail end of that. You know, if you're criticized on the NHS, you can say, we have given 12 billion to the NHS and social care even though some of, it, some of it is meant to go to social care. And they have tended to do that. The London Playbook on Politico is reporting that, that Treasury has bombarded journalists in boxes with press releases. I think that's quite suspicious. As we found out yesterday, as you mentioned at the top, with the local transport money, the $6.9 billion, the vast majority of it is old money. Uh, and you have to look to the fine print to see that. Almost all of the announcements are capital spending, because that is where there is headroom. You know, they're one of things that under fiscal rules, it's okay to borrow for, because they don't actually affect your structural deficit. You know, they're not things that you have to pay every year. Like I said, if it were a government that one trusted, you'd think they're just trying to trail what's going to be a big spending budget. With this government, I can't help but thinking that they're trying to generate good publicity because there's going to actually be quite a lot of punishment in the budget. And a lot of this stuff that's being announced is basically rehashing old announcements. There's also a lot of bribe money, I have to say, right? There's like 1.4 billion for the Global Britain Investment Fund to encourage companies to come to the UK. There's 150 million for local angel investors. I mean, those seem to me like straight up donor bribe yeah. pots, basically for foreign donors and for British donors. Um, and there's there's loads of stuff that sounds okay, but actually. When you look at it, it doesn't stack up. For instance, they're giving 80 million for family hubs, which seem a little bit like a poor man's sure start. I mean, sure start at its peak cost about 2 billion a year in today's money. So to close all of those and then give 80 billion for family hubs, who fucking cares, frankly? It doesn't, doesn't touch the sides. 
chancellors traditionally milk the uh, budget spotlight. Boris Johnson's been invisible for weeks. We keep wondering when the moment's going to happen, when he and Sunak are actually going to stop fighting properly. How do you expect Sunak to be able to project himself at this point? Budgets tend to be written in very simple terms for, for headlines. What, what do you think the takeaway is going to be on this? Mm, is that another indication that the budget in its substance is actually going to be quite punishing? If it were a very good budget for the government, you'd expect Johnson to be front and centre claiming credit for it. If Johnson has become invisible, is that another indication that the 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 actual black and white of the budget will not be a good one? The Indy has a scoop about the levelling up money going to cabinet minister constituencies that really don't need it. Um, apparently, Sunak, Truss and Barclay have all done very, very well from the levelling up fund. And that's another aspect that we should look out for. Is this going to be naked pork barrel politics? I am shocked, shocked, shocked. <laughs> Most of the weekend was dominated as well by apparent plans to soften up England for the much-expected mm. Plan B on COVID, return of compulsory masks and working from home. Labour's Rachel Reeves called for Plan B to be implemented over the weekend. Sunak told Andrew Marr the data does not suggest we need to move to Plan B, but the UK Health Security Agency we know has been contacting local authorities to assess support for a tight turnaround on new measures. What's going on with Plan B? We had 40,000 positive tests yesterday. Even Ed Sheeran has tested positive. Mm. So it's good that Labour finally picked a position yesterday. They say that government should move to Plan B. With some variation, they say yes to vaccine passports for large events, but not for going into a shop or a pub. Starmer will also call, as I understand it today, for an exclusion zone around schools for anti-vaxxers. Mm. But Labour are against compulsory vaccinations for NHS staff, so that's another little difference between them. Um, the government has caused itself a fuck of a lot of difficulty with face masks. I mean, it is in such a muddle. How can Javid stand at the dispatch box and mandate it, mandate their use again, or even advise their use with colleagues behind him not wearing them? And if colleagues behind him are wearing them, then how do you justify the comments last week? Look, local authorities have been in consultation since the, the end of last week. We know this. Uh, so there was an expectation that something will be announced this week. But will Javid want to step on the budget? Exactly. And and there is another potential clue. So if government wants to avoid scrutiny, then yes. <laughs> mm. So if you see the budget come out on Wednesday and then Javid come out Wednesday afternoon at five o'clock or Thursday evening and announce we're going to plan B, then we need to read... <laughs> the footnotes of that budget very, very carefully. Um, but the expectation is that it won't happen. And then next week is the start of COP26. Will he want to step on that? So we're probably looking at an announcement the week after COP26, which is a huge delay from the experts already advising last week that the government should move early and go hard. It's just awful planning by the government. They should have moved on to slightly tougher restrictions last week when they had the space on the grid. And now they don't anymore. And I don't think they will for another two weeks. It's uh, Groundhog Day all over again. Well, yeah. 
I mean, will they want to be announcing tighter measures as world leaders are preparing to fly to the UK? No, and will they want to announce tighter measures when the headlines are all grit your teeth from uh, Rishi's inevitably tough budget? Grit your teeth, Britain. Oh, by the way, here's some more awful news. Also in Parliament this week, uh, Michael Gove is going to be making his Commons debut as Secretary of State for Leveling Up Housing and Communities, a serially bungled brief over recent years. Gove has been unsurprisingly a bit invisible himself over the the past few months. Do you expect him to do a a better job than the Conservatives' own terms? Because, you know, Leveling Up never gets off the ground. No. He's very much in blend into the background mode. And that tells me that the next few months will be... Uh, very, very, very difficult. It's interesting, when Sunak gave interviews on Sunday, I noted that he kept repeating this phrase, we have always said the coming months will be challenging. The government spokesperson this morning, no, late yesterday actually, issues a a communique that begins with, we knew the coming months would be challenging. This is exactly why we set out our COVID plan for autumn and winter. I think that's quite an interesting riff to keep repeating. We told you the next few months would be a, a shit show. Is an interesting thing to keep drumming into people. And I think that means Gove will stay invisible for a few months. The second part of that uh, spokesperson released, by the way, is as clear an indication as you can get that this is the PM resisting tighter restrictions because it reads, we are monitoring all the data closely and the Prime Minister has been clear that it does not yet show Plan B is necessary. I think th- that was quite striking to me for a for a sort of generic press release line to be that specific, that it's the Prime Minister that doesn't think Plan B is necessary yet. So we will see. But no, Gove will stay invisible. Speaking of shit shows, Gove, who positioned himself as a green politician, uh, helped to solve Brexit as a way to raise environmental standards. He's returning to the front line, or at least close to it, in the week that Conservative MPs are getting roasted for allowing raw sewage to be pumped into the sea. They voted for it last week. This is causing widespread outrage. Hashtags on Twitter include Stool Britannia, Get Brexit Dung and Turd Reich. Um, so the sewage dump has enraged even the male. That is brilliant. Hats off to whomever came off with them. Um, so, I mean, this is an odd one, isn't it? Because it is cross-party lines, beach communities, which are presently posting pictures of brown water, are often conservative voting areas. Does this kind of thing cut through with Shia Tories, do you think? Oh, totally. I mean, this is the thing that cuts through with Shia Tories. I think this is a huge peril for the government. Truly, this Mm. may be a defining issue. Imagine some kind of related outbreak of a tummy bug happening in one of those sort of uh, idyllic seats. It would be a disaster for them. Mm especially on top of all the stuff going on at the moment in the NHS. I mean, this might be the X factor that pushes them over the edge. I still, my money's still on floods, by the way. Yeah. I think nobody's talking about flood. Nobody's talking about flood prevention. But if floods happen, 
at a time when the water is basically quite toxic and full of feces. Well, floods and the sewage dumps are connected. I mean, this is what occasions them. Last week's Surface Against Sewage issued a do not swim warning again on 26 beaches on the Cornish coast. These are conservative voting areas. I think this is a really bad issue for the government because I think it's one where they cannot expect the the sort of blind allegiance of the press that usually supports them. So mm. I can see the Daily Mail and the Daily Telegraph and, and papers like that going big on this, which is which mm. always makes it a difficult thing for the government. Connected to the sewage thing, we saw quite a, a rather pathetic episode in the row over social media so-called hate over the weekend. Mm. The Conservative MP David T.C. Davis got reasonable criticism from a constituent about his vote on sewage dumping and responded, in a week when we should be thinking about the language you use online and the effect it has, does Labour condone this kind of language for its activists? This was basic reasonable uh, criticism from a constituent. And to kind of hide behind this idea of hate speech and abuse is infuriating. Do you think we're, we're going to continue to see any criticism rebranded as abuse but it was also quite bizarre wasn't it because the the tweet that was sort of screen grabbed was so obviously not abusive in any way it was polite i I think it backfired really badly i think so so what weirdly went viral was the fact that that there wasn't anything abusive about it Greg Hands did exactly the same thing. He claimed that someone was abusing him when someone had basically gone, here's a thread for you, Greg Hands, whilst you tuck into the roast swan or whatever you Tory MPs have for lunch. Okay, it's a colourful way of saying you're quite privileged. It's not even rude, let alone abusive. Then you have Andrea Jenkins screen-grabbing James O'Brien to say, oh, look how he abuses me. And the bit she screen-grabs is basically her calling him names. And then she closed her account, (laughs) then she reopened her account. Um, I think clearly some kind of centralised message went went out over the weekend saying, if anyone gives you any grief on social media... It might be quite smart to say, look, look, look at the tone of this. You know, look how we're coarsening our politics. And weirdly, I think it backfired. Last couple of things before we go. Uh, mm. It's the last week of build up for COP26. So we're going to find out who's going and who isn't. China has just uh, released its um, its contribution, its plans. Uh, there are no new pledges. So that's going to be a big mm. sticking point this week. And podcast favourite Lord Frost is up in committee on the Northern Ireland Protocol and trade borders with Gibraltar, so there might be a bit of a row there. I mean, he's he's also lost his slot on the grid, hasn't he? For oh, bloody hell, has he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's behind Plan B as well. So if you yeah. go budget this week, COP26 next week, uh, Plan B the week after. And then you're into turkey shortage, so there's no time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I have to caution with this that my contact at the commission always expected the UK to pretend negotiate for a few weeks before trying to invoke article um, 16 so they didn't expect that to happen until the beginning of December so if they're correct with their estimate then 
that still holds true. Um, Russia, China, and India look as if they're not going to come. Hillary Clinton, in an interview over the weekend, said they weren't coming. You would expect her to be quite well connected on this. There's a report coming out today to consider whether rich nations have met their target of giving $100 billion a year. That's $100 billion US dollars a year to poorer countries to fight climate change. Robert Peston has seen bits and pieces of it and says the target will not be hit this year, but may be hit in 2022 and is likely to be hit in 2023. So we will see how rich nations try to spin that uh, forecast as a success in two years rather than looking at their failure to implement the plan now. I think COP26 is said to be a failure. I don't think the big players have engaged enough. I know there's a lot of geopolitical issues that play into this, but I think the um, uh, Australia-UK-US deal on submarines, which is a quite a direct challenge to the South China Sea situation, I think that has played very badly. Uh, uh, Liz Truss uh, had a phone call with her Chinese counterpart. She'd refused to give a readout on uh, Friday. So she she's not even going to say how it went or, which is quite unusual. You know, secretaries of state usually give a, a generic readout of how these phone calls Go And the fact that she couldn't even say, well, we disagreed robustly on some issues, but we can cooperate on other stuff, as they usually do, I think is quite a big indication. Well, listeners, next week we've got a run of special editions around COP26. And we're mm. going to try and look behind the news cycle on decarbonisation. got explainers on the conference on greenwashing, what a net zero future might look like. So do follow us on your favourite app. Alex, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Listeners, thanks for your patience as well with our teething problems last week as we moved to our new hosting platform. It should all be sorted now. You should have access to all episodes. But if you've got any issues, then do tweet us at bunker underscore pod and we'll see what we can do. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. The Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofranievich. An audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.